How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are locked on Lakers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Lakers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. I am Anthony Irwin. I am not joined by Harrison Fagan tonight. He is slacking. He, he just he doesn't do enough work. Honestly, I benched him in favor of, of our our version of Lou Williams, who is more efficient and uh, and is more of a coach's favorite. I'm joined by Ben Rosales. Ben, how are you, uh, how are you holding up? I'm doing well. Um, please ignore the munching in the background. That's me... Uh following up on what I tweeted earlier in the game and making dinner and watching the awful fourth quarter of this Laker game. So I think I succeeded in making better use of my time. <laughs> yeah, no, it was uh, it was not a pretty quarter, although I think they kind of played them even. Uh, the Lakers wind up losing to the Detroit Pistons tonight, 121 to 102. Uh, just a just a pretty bad effort. And uh, it kind of gets back to what Luke has talked about with this team and that they don't handle success very well at all. You know, they just kind of, you know, they won, a, they won a game handily in New York. They don't come out playing very well. And as a result, D'Angelo Russell plays uh, 23 minutes tonight. He played 20 minutes against New York. Uh, and this coming on the heels of Luke Walton saying that he, you know, he had earned more minutes. Uh, that kind of mixed message, I, I would say, probably gets pretty frustrating, right? I, yeah, I would agree. I think... Uh... We just had the tweet come up that Luke thought that uh, Russell was tired. Uh, I mean, I think in the ever since they've changed this new starting lineup, I think he has been pay, playing a little more passively, which I, I don't quite like. He's still making very good passes, but he's playing a little more Rajon Ranui and passing up shot, shot opportunities in order to pass to his teammates and deferring a lot more to Ingram and Randall as the primary ball handers in the starting lineup. And I'm not quite so much a fan of that as I wrote a few weeks ago, Russell's by far the team's best playmaker and they need to continue to lean on him, on him accordingly. I don't think he necessarily uh, was lacking effort either tonight or last night, but I think it's a question of approach. He's not actively looking for a shot. And I think that's something that needs to change, whether that's uh, Luke was, um, I don't think Luke was benching. I think there's been plenty of instances uh, in previous games where where Russell hasn't come out in the fourth where they're being blown out as part of like the all-youth brigade, so to speak, uh, because I think Luke kind of continue, uh, considers him part of the starters and ties him to them as a result. But 
I mean, we'll see the aftermath. I'm sure it'll be blown up and tr- uh, treated with the proper uh, w- uh, weight as uh, our very conscientious <laughs> Lakers Twitter is bound to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. But no, nobody. I, I don't know what you're talking about. There are no emotional responses on my timeline. I'm not. I'm not sure what you might be hinting at, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the other thing that kind of struck me tonight, we'll get back to Russell here in a second, but you mentioned the youth movement and the, the prioritization of, you know, getting the kids as many minutes as possible. Uh, one such kid has been Tarek Black, the other one being Yuvitsa Zubots. They played Detroit tonight, who has Andre Drummond on their team, and uh, he feasted on that front court. <laughs> he finishes the game with 24 points, 17 rebounds on 12, 12 of 19 shooting. Uh, this is the kind of game where if you have Timothy Mozgov in there, maybe he shows a little bit better defensively against him. They were losing him. I don't know how you lose somebody of Andre Drummond's stature defensively, <laughs> <laughs> but it seemed like every time I looked up, it was Drummond just hammering an alley-oop straight down through the rim uh, with nobody really standing around him. Uh, so that was kind of odd. That's where, you know, you kind of, that's where, again, you, you, this is what we ask for with the youth movement, but sometimes they're going to take their licks. Tonight they took quite a few of them from Andre Drummond. I definitely agree. I mean, Drummond's a hard, a hard guy to deal with in the best of circumstances. Um, Black's, I mean, I love Tariq Black, but when it really comes down to it, he's a backup. He, there are certain types of centers that are, are going to do well against him because of the size differential. I mean, wingspan, standing reach, notwithstanding, and all those other caveats. But when Drummond is on, and he was doing pretty well most of the night, um, he's just going to make those shots with impunity over Black. And, I mean, that's part of the reason they got Mozgov to match up with those few centers in the league that are that are more traditional uh, size. And, I mean, Drummond's even big by the standards of the <laughs> average center we saw a decade ago or so so i mean altogether i mean this is a tough matchup and the box score reflects that although it's i mean it's good that the um i mean not so much that black got the rep since he kind of is who he is at this point but um it's a good guy for uh, zubats to go against uh, just because uh he zubats is justifiably used to um playing guys who are smaller than him his uh Odd recollections, notwithstanding, such as when he uh, told uh, the LA Times uh, Tania Ganguly that uh, at least I hope I hope I didn't butcher her name too badly. <laughs> that, uh, oh, I played my first uh, summer league game. I played a guy who was way bigger than me. He played New Orleans Czech Diallo, who's probably shorter than Tarek. <laughs> so uh, good, good on good on Zoo for embellishing. Um, I think Zoo Zoo has been a bit. Up and down uh, as of as of late, this was a tough uh, matchup for him. I, w- I w- wish the team would post him up a bit more just to because dist- I think the bench lost the game because uh, the they couldn't get the offense going. And I mean that's the reality of whatever Leo and Clarkson aren't on, the offense is going to suffer as a result since they just don't do a whole lot else. Especially now that Dang Dang's in there instead of Ingram, and Dang's not really a secondary ball handler, so. I really wanted them to post up Zoo against uh, Aaron Baines, and they uh, Lou and Clarkson aren't very receptive to any strategy that doesn't involve the ball in their hands. So, yeah, Lou Lou finishes four of ten for seventeen points, 
Clarkson finishes three of ten for twelve points, and and yeah, it felt like you know I said on one end it felt like every other time I looked up at the rim, Drummond was hammering down a dunk. Offensively for the Lakers, every time I looked at the at the screen, it was Lou shooting a fallaway three pointer or Clarkson just dribbling until the air goes out of the out of the ball. It was just all around. It was a bad game, and this kind of takes me back to the Russell thing. Everybody played bad tonight, and it felt it feels kind of odd. It feels Byronish to single out Russell for for the way he played tonight when nobody really had it going on on the Lakers in, either in terms of production or effort. It was it was a weird thing, and and this has become I'm not going to call it a trend. It's a blip on the radar at this point with with Russell and and Luke's relationship. But this this certainly is not going in the direction we'd like it to continue to go. Yeah, I mean, there are numerous, numerous, numerous reasons to trade Lou, whether good asset management, uh, hopefully save Clarkson for himself, but uh, ensuring that Russell's playing 30 minutes any given night because they've cut out uh, other options in the guard rotation is definitely a pretty big one, uh, at least in my book. Yeah, I, I'm not thrilled about having to yet again protect a coach from himself you know that was a that was that was a trademark byron thing right where uh ronnie price was getting minutes over jordan clarkson and and you know the aforementioned lou would be getting minutes at at point guard you know lou has been good this year and his value is up and just on on that on those grounds alone he should be moved uh because you can get value for him but you know, having to yet again, you know, move somebody just so that the head coach doesn't play a veteran over, over the kids, that's not that's not the greatest sign of of uh, the communication going on there between the front office and and the and the coaching staff. Right, right. So I mean, and we really don't know what sort of line that that uh, communication has taken as of late, since it's hard to predict what sort of effect that magic's going to have on the trade deadline. So hopefully <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that um, works out. I mean, we've been well documented at this point, how um, reluctant the, um, at least the current front office is to engage in the sort of asset management that teams on the bottom side of the standing should engage in, which is trading off all the superfluous veterans for assets that better fit a long-term rebuild. But um, uh, we'll see. I mean, we're, we're, we've gotten to the point where, I mean, in the past years, the uh, the veterans of note weren't really taking away minutes from important players. Uh, Pau Gasol wasn't really taking minutes away from anyone of note. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Lou was last year, as, as to use your, your example, but uh, even, even going uh, back, I mean, Clarkson still played a fair amount once they made the decision to put him in the lineup even though they really should have traded Jeremy Lin for another asset somewhere. So, I mean, this year, I guess the one caveat is that we are getting to the point where the uh, the vets are more directly trampling on the young guys' playing time, and they've made the conscious decision, I mean, quite visibly and in public, to uh, prioritize the young guys' playtime whenever it is possible, save for, I mean, Luke will call it effort-related reasons tonight, but on the whole, they seemingly made the philosophy change to play the young guys as soon as possible. So whether that's reflected in how they approach the trade deadline, I guess uh, we'll see. Although it's, I mean, all our prognosticating aside, it's really hard to kind of divine 
how the uh, current um, shift as a result of Magic that and and Jim being on his deadline and everyone possibly being out the door at the end of the season, uh, what they're going to do in a few weeks. Yeah, it's kind of odd. I don't see Magic as the type, just because he spent so little time in front offices and because of the constant you know, refrain of, we're the Lakers, we don't sell, we don't tank. I couldn't see him walking into the office and be like, all right, guys, we need to acquire more assets this trade deadline. Like I could, say, I, I feel like it's a lot more. It feels a lot more likely that he would walk into the office with Mitch, and with Jim Buss, and say, "All right, guys, let's trade D'Angelo Russell for LeBron James right now!" Exclamation points galore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I do want to. I do want to get your take before we move on to the the Magic and the Bus situation. I do want to get your take on some ideas that you might have had for you know, a, a potential Lou Williams trade. Tonight, for example, they played a Detroit team that has Stanley Johnson on there who hasn't been getting minutes very often. He's kind of fallen, kind of sort of out of the rotation. If you're the Lakers, you kind of call up and say, hey, what would it take? Would we have to add something to Lou Williams to maybe get Stanley Johnson off of your hands? Detroit, I believe, is a playoff team, right? Or they're, they're close to it. Uh, Reason. Close off the top of my head, I have to look at that. I think they're at the bottom of their division, but their division is very good. So I think mm-hmm. they're a little bit under 500. But yes, I think um, Detroit's definitely an option. It, I mean, uh, the co- um, teams that feature the co- coach GM combo are always going to have twisted priorities uh, because you want the team to to look good on the court. And it's hard to take a long-term view when you're the coach and the GM. So, But Stan's a smart guy, so I'm not sure how that would work. Stanley Johnson's definitely a guy I would look for who's uh, decent defensively, needs to kind of grow into his offensive game. But, I mean, he was a lottery prospect very recently, so he'd be the type of guy to look after. I think um, Washington, another team they played recently, has uh, Kelly Oubre, who would be a nice option. Uh, off the bench, um, mm-hmm. another y- very very young uh, wing option. Um, I think you and you and I and many others on Lakers Twitter have bandied about Mario Hezonia's name from Orlando quite a bit. Uh, who's another high lottery prospect? Notice the pattern here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's it's. So for those listening, you hear those names, and and the the consistent trend is lottery talent. The Lakers would be buying low on right now. To hopefully develop them alongside the other talent that they've, you know, I, we have our we have our gripes with Russell, uh, but they're you know you look at the Stanley Johnson situation, you look at the Mario Hazonia situation, you look around the league. There are players, and even uh, uh, Willie Cauley Stein up in Sacramento. You see right. all these situations where, as annoying as as annoyed as we might be sometimes with the D'Angelo Russell thing. And part of it is because we're watching it night by night on a night, you know, we're watching every single night. We're freaking out anytime Russell doesn't get as many minutes as we'd like him to get, but there are way worse situations out there. And, and if the Lakers have a piece like Lou Williams that could help them take advantage of those kinds of situations out there, you kind of have to really look into it. What would you, what would you say? Like if you were, let's say we're talking to, uh, Washington. Actually, Washington is a good example because they are a playoff team and they could probably use some more scoring in their backcourt uh, to come off of the bench. But if you if you're if you're calling Washington or they call you and they say, "All right, Lou Williams and what 
for one of those guys for for Ubre, what would you say you'd be comfortable giving up in you know to go along with Lou Williams in that situation? Well, in the case of Washington, and this is something I'm actually familiar with because I was punching through the trade machine right after the game. Uh, uh, matching salaries is a little difficult uh, for them. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't want to take back someone like Andrew Nicholson, who's a power forward, which we don't need. Definitely who's, Yeah, who's putting up a sub uh, 10 uh, PER and is on, under contract until 2020. So we really don't want that. Yeah. Uh, it's even with anything else that's coming back. So, I mean, the ideal trade I constructed, and it really depends. I mean, uh, Washington GM, GM is one of the few remaining GMs, I would say, that is safely below average. Ernie Grunfeld, who's somehow kept his job all these years. Uh, but um, uh, I was like an ideal trade from the Lakers perspective is uh, Trey Burke, who's an expiring contract. So they gain a little cap space. Uh, Kelly Oubre and a, uh, for, and a, and a lottery protected since the that's that doesn't mean anything to the Lakers. Uh, first rounder, I would probably take just Burke and Ubre. Um, I would probably sit out and try, of course, get as much as you can in that situation. But um, I mean, that's something the Lakers are probably interested in. Burke himself is probably semi useful in the Lakers situation. He's better than both Calderon and Huertas. You could probably make some use of him, even though he's, I believe, twenty four or twenty five now, and any lottery talent he once had is probably uh, uh, safely uh, not going to be realized at this point. But I mean, those, I mean, and this applies basically to every other situation. It varies on the desperation of GM, how much win now motivation they have. But I mean, uh, a contract that doesn't, that's, I mean, expiring would be best because I'm slowly writing a piece on how the Lakers cap situation might be a little difficult to manage this off season. We'll get to that in future uh, podcast at the moment I get off my rear and actually write it, but um, uh-huh. suffice it to say that um, uh, they would prefer to get an expiring contract back, and then a pick along with the, the underutilized young player would be great. So, but I mean, in an ideal world, I'd take either the young player or the pick, and pretty much any other thing that comes with the trade is pretty superfluous in my book as long as it's not a long-term contract uh, and and you aren't you aren't adding say like a second rounder to lou williams to to sweeten the pot going the other way right oh hey if um washington's willing to throw in burke uber in a first i'll happily throw this <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that 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 sounds uh that sounds fair um the other bit of news that that kind of popped up here was uh and and part of the reason part of the reason we were talking about trades and such here is the effect say Lou Williams has had on Jordan Clarkson, who suffice it, suffice it to say, if he hasn't outright regressed, he's not grown. He's not taken the step forward. Maybe the Lakers were hoping when they signed him to the contract he did this year. And the question should be asked, and it'll be asked in a in a roundtable going up, I believe Friday, right, or or, or soon. Yep. Friday uh, on Silver Screen and Roll, but the question should be asked: Is is uh, Lou Williams hurting Jordan Clarkson because of the role Clarkson has to play? And Clarkson actually said after the Knicks game that he enjoyed being able to go back and play a little bit more point guard. That kind of tells me it has a little bit, right? And and that just that's even more reason to to move somebody like Lou. Right when 
when Clarkson was in his rookie year, I mean, one of the big biggest things he did, aside from scoring more efficiently, was um, uh, he was actually making very good reads off the pick and roll. Thank you, Steve Nash. Uh, <laughs> and um, and um, probing conscientiously, looking for opportunities, uh, leveraging his speed, since he's probably the most athletic guard on the team, uh, and his ability to make floaters and uh, mid-range shots against... Um, how he navigated picks and he did that on the whole i mean he's a little sloppy to start but on the whole he got pretty good to end the year which kind of made us excited and kind of was i think a big factor behind the why a lot of people uh, thought okafer was a natural pick over um russell and and pushing uh in, in lieu of uh pushing clarkson to the two uh but now um uh, clarkson doesn't defend well he has a really bad uh defensive uh uh, real plus minus the ESPN uh, priority stat. Um, he doesn't pass well. I mean, his assist percentage is pretty poor for a guard, uh, especially one that handles the ball as much as he does. And he doesn't shoot well enough to kind of compensate for that. So, for instance, Nick Young doesn't defend uh, his minor flashes once in a while, notwithstanding. Uh, and, he, and of course, he doesn't pass, but he shoots extremely efficiently, so he makes up for that. So, uh, But Clarkson doesn't. So guards that don't do those three things are pretty fungible. I mean, they're pretty dime-a-dozen uh, type guards that don't really have a lot of value to a long-term rebuild. So if you want to... Um, so I think trading Lou to kind of free up Clarkson to play that point guard role that, uh, as you alluded to, seems to be something that he kind of jives with is kind of a worthy project for the last half of uh, or at least whatever remains of the season in order to see if you can kind of salvage those uh, um, point guard chops that he had during his rookie year and see if that's a thing that you can kind of apply going forward. Because if not, if this really is kind of who Clarkson is at this point, and that's really unfortunate, then you probably should really think about trading him since i mean he's not a guy who's really gonna have a lot of value teams are gonna start to value him as he gets uh, uh more to the middle of his uh, 20s uh and he's not gonna have as much value as he has now as you could trade him and kind of get a piece that's you with a uh, little that fits um one where the team is in terms of rebuilding a little bit better and also fits kind of how the core is um burgeoning at the moment so for instance a trade i was that a person my mentions kind of bandied about earlier today and I think was also uh, put up at Lakers Outsiders uh, also earlier today uh, was um, Clarkson for um, uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson since the Nets are kind of, as is pretty wide knowledge, don't have picks because of their horrible traits. <laughs> Thank you, Billy King. Um, um, but And they could really use a, a guard who kind of has a playmaking, who has at least possible playmaking chops uh, like Clarkson, whereas the Lakers could use a guy like um, uh, Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, who's very defense first, very athletic on the wing, who of course has his, his, his own problems, who can't shoot, doesn't dribble that well, is kind of needs to be in a, only can only drive in a straight line. But still, he has kind of the skill set that kind of fits more with the team as it is now that really needs defense on the wing, needs a lot of athleticism, uh, which does have an, an, an abundance among his top prospects. So that's the kind of trade I'd look for, and it has the side effect of giving the Lakers more cash. 
have space this offseason. Again, caveats about the Lakers and free agency. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's kind of great that you bring that up because that's been one of the major knocks on the Lakers. And when they finally did spend, it was $136 million to Timothy Moskov, who less than 60 games into a season is getting DNP CDs. And Luol Deng, who for the vast majority of the season has not come close to living up to his contract right so uh a big a big piece came out today from uh ramona shelburne to follow you know what's what's kind of gone on with magic johnson coming on to the lakers she asked well what's next and it seems like that's a topic of conversation throughout the league because (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i mean if if magic johnson comes on and all of a sudden the lakers start selling off their young pieces I would imagine all the smarter GMs across the league are licking their chops, right? Because they're saying, "Oh boy, <laughs> we can we can get a, a a we could buy low on on D'Angelo Russell and and maybe you know get out from under a contract that that's been you know hurting us." Poor poor Portland signed uh, Evan Turner to their deal. All they have to say was, "Hey, Evan Turner made the playoffs as as a Celtic before we paid him." Uh, Magic, he he shoots those mid-range jumpers that that you know your boy Byron loved. What what do you say, Evan Turner for for Brandon Ingram? We'll make those contracts work, you know. And, and I would imagine uh, that that's my top fear with this whole situation, right? And I would imagine Ben, that's yours too. Right. I mean, with Magic coming on, especially and kind of representing that genie's <clears throat> taking control, so to speak, of the basketball side of the operation, or at least, I mean, she already has a certain amount of control in that she controls who sits in the top seats, but with Magic in, she's kind of bringing the um, uh, more regular operations more directly under her purview. I mean, these are both, both Genie and Magic have no experience whatsoever uh, running a front office, at least on the basketball operations side. So, I mean, that's, that's the fear. You're, you really have no idea what's going to happen. They, I mean, do we trust Magic's tweets and the analysis he gave on, <laughs> as, on ESPN as face value? If so, we should be very scared because neither in, no, in neither of those cases did he demonstrate that he's very insightful as, a, um, as an analyst in any way whatsoever. <laughs> um, and by the same token, Jeannie, whenever she appears on radio and discusses basketball operations in the slightest – we're always struck by how ignorant she is of the cap, of basic operation stuff. So, I mean, it's it doesn't fill one with confidence. I mean, the um, I did note in the article that, by the way, all these articles that are clearly sourced to GD and, like, butter. Like, I, I wrote the metaphor that the toast is clearly buttered on one side. Yeah. It, it, it's really it, – it's hilariously blatant. <laughs> well, it, the timing of it is always also funny to me where, like, the Lakers, they say that they're going to prioritize the youth. The, the organization seems to be going in a positive direction. They smoke the Knicks, right? And then, bang, Genie article, you know? It, it was the same thing earlier uh, this year when they were ten and ten, and bang, timeline, you know, stuff pops up, and and it's just it's funny how that stuff works. But but go ahead and continue. Sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. So, uh, oh, and you're absolutely right about the time. But I mean, uh, I I leave open. I mean, I'm definitely willing to acknowledge um, to acknowledge the possibility that Magic can hire a smart GM. I do think that. 
the front office has gotten a bit ossified in its ways. I mean, the scouting department is great. They should definitely be kept around. I think Jesse Buss is good, is an owner, so I mean, he'll stick around. He's been part of the scouting apparatus. Hopefully, Ryan West uh, sticks around as well, and, and all their scouts and such that have been part of the operation, especially their um, uh, their European scout who've got a Subot. So, <laughs> props to him. But the uh, um, I mean, they did provide us with a name. Uh, a lot of knee uh, of Mitch replacements at the end of uh, Shelburne's article. Um, let's put forth first that they have absolutely no shot of putting a Godfather offer for R.C. Buford, Masai Ujiri, Bob Myers. That's ridiculous, and anyone who thinks that is very silly. Isn't, isn't that <laughs> doesn't that get back to the Lakers exceptionalism that's kind of plagued the organization? Right, <laughs> this whole yeah. like. Oh yeah, we're the Lakers. We could totally hire those guys, even though they're in way better situations and have built those situations around themselves. Oh no, absolutely. But but it kind of it's kind of endearing because it <laughs> kind of makes you think that the list is real. It actually <laughs> came from someone's mouth because, yeah. because of how ridiculous it is. But because the uh, and I say this because the assistant GM list that follows contains a lot of names that. I've seen continuously in, in short lists for like, this guy is going to be a future GM somewhere. This guy should be hired somewhere. I think the guy most prominent among those in my book is the Celtics, Mike Zarin, who's um, kind of uh, Zach Lowe's talked about him quite a bit, which is pretty good in of itself yep. <laughs> uh, as kind of an analytics guru. So he's a guy who shows up for Sloan, the MIT Sloan conference on uh, sabermetrics. Uh, all the time I mean he's I mean the Celtics I mean their drafting aside have have kind of run their organization pretty well in the past few years as difficult that is to say so I mean the or the current front office Lakers front office has been very slow to adopt analytics so any sort of hire that pushes that forward is a big plus in my book so I think Zarin would be a big uh, especially if you bring in Zarin you uh, keep around the scouting staff. I think that's a pretty good fusion of a analytics savvy general manager and a very smart uh, uh, scouting staff, whether the scouting staff grounds their uh, uh, decisions in analytics or uh, in kind of old fashioned scouting. And I'm sure they do both um, notwithstanding. Uh, I think that's pretty ideal going forward. And I mean, if that's the way that it turns out and hopefully magic uh, sits back as much as he does with the Dodgers with Freeman and Zaidi and from uh, you, for what you do with Dodgers Nation that appears to be the case of what Magic actual uh, involvement with the Dodgers front office actually yeah, is. Yeah, he so. doesn't he's he does zero nothing. He, he, he just he just kind of shows up to games and answers questions when they ask him. It's funny that the uh, the fake account the the at Magic's tweets account will sometimes send out you know that the Dodgers need to score more points, and it's <laughs> and and it's hilarious because people react to that as if that's a realistic thing, and that really says something to like his involvement there. That people would would see him tweet about points in a basketball game and 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 think that's real. So God bless Magic. <laughs> yeah, but 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 I mean, you you pray right now. That Friedman and Zaidi and the success the Dodgers have uh, postseason aside have kind of made him see the light, 
and that he needs that's the direction he correspondingly needs to move in from a basketball sense. I'm not terribly sanguine about that because this is the Magic who, I mean, from all accounts, wants to have some sort of role on the basketball operations side. I mean, the hiring statement said that he would, and even if that's just as a Jim Buss figure who kind of acts as the general boss for the FO and only kind of puts his stamp on big decisions, that's still, I mean, you're still putting him in a, in a position where he doesn't have a, a lot of experience, needless to say, in terms of that, that management. So, I mean, if he wants to be an absentee landlord and just kind of a front man for the organization to manage their public affairs and defend their decisions and leave kind of the uh, day-to-day stuff and kind of the grand majority of the de- decisions to kind of what I hope is an analytics savvy staff, whether that's Zarin, I mean, I would love Sam Hinky or, or otherwise. Uh, I mean, that's, I think, as ideal as we can hope for. I mean, you you don't want a situation in which the, um, the ownerships of Genie and by extension Magic are interfering in the day-to-day stuff of the front office. I think that's where we get into our kind of worst case scenarios that you've mentioned so i mean there's certainly a way in which this can all turn out for the better and i mean it's not and of course i mean we we everyone who's kind of defended jim buss and mitch kubchak for the past few years definitely say like hey they haven't been the greatest but you're kind of the way you portray them is unfair and it's not really right and i mean i'll put the same out for um, for Magic and Genie, there's a way that they can make this change to kind of <clears throat> a more forward-facing front office that's more in tune with modern trends, that apparently tampers <laughs> at, every, at every opportunity. <laughs> that's just a thing. Um, and, and and I mean, it, it is and does analytics and all the other things that we that we. Um, associate with modern front offices so i mean there's a way for them to do this right um and i hope to god they do it um but i mean it's kind of the obstacles facing the transition process right now and and, i mean there's a lot of questions that need to be answered between now and what i think is probably a pretty inevitable firing of both uh jim and mitch so yeah i was shocked after the reading after reading the piece today this was the first time I, it really kind of dawned on me that holy hell, Mitch might be might really be gone too because this was the first time he was publicly criticized like that, you know, right. talking talking about, you know how you know how deliberate he is, how how you know frustrating he can be for other teams to deal with, and how frustrating he can be for for agents to deal with. Um, that that struck me as like that's that's a new development in and of its own. And then the other thing too here is, as as much and you got me really excited mentioning the names that you did the analytical you know the potential for for an analytical front office is really exciting because that's something that the Lakers haven't haven't gone with forever. But as you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, we're talking about Magic Johnson and Genie Bus right now. And and Jeannie Buss's first inclination with her, you know, her first move in getting back in in immersing herself into the basketball operations was to go back into the days of yore with the Lakers and bring back Magic Johnson. Right. So that doesn't necessarily tell me that they're thinking they're thinking that the problem has been that they haven't been forward thinking enough. 
I think to me the problem you know that they they see is that the Lakers have been trying to be something that they aren't and that would be that would be hugely disappointing if that was how they read the situation and I I just can't get myself away from the fact that that's how I could see them reading this situation right I mean I think that there is I mean there is the fear of that I think in the, for the most part Magic was hired as kind of the public face to be Genie's hatchet man when yeah. Jim and Mitch are fired. I mean, because they would say, oh, we're transitioning to the new era, and hey, here's Magic to kind of distract you from all the other changes <laughs> we're about to make. So, I mean, and like I said, I mean, this can be done in a way that's positive for the organization as a whole. I mean, the system they had in the wake of Jerry Buss's death is weird. I mean, usually there's one owner that the front office reports to, and that's kind of how things are done. And I mean, it's not to say that the bifurcated thing that they did was necessarily uh, wrong. If, I mean, if Jim and Mitch were, um, more, had been, would, would have been more competent in the past few years, I think it's something that could have survived into the future. I mean, Jeannie's random sniping aside, I mean, we can, uh, for instance, like in the uh, Shelburne article, there's a long uh, passage on how Jeannie apparently was embarrassed by the infamous game against Cleveland during uh, Mike D'Antoni's last year, where the Lakers only had like six players and then Keenan was like sleeping on the bench and it was hilarious. I remember this quite clearly because I actually wrote the recap for so <laughs> funeral that night. And it's bizarre because the Lakers won that game. Yeah. It they not only won that game, they destroyed the Cavs. It was an embarrassing game for the Cavs. Yep. And the um and and, and the Lakers basically won with, I mean, like half a team. And I mean it's I I, I wrote that night and I remember this clearly because I mean it was such a distinctive uh, game that this is like the their their new coach hire and Mike D'Antoni outcoached the pants out of Mike Brown, their previous co- coach coaching hire. And this was a positive for the organization. I mean, the players that Mitch signed were the ones that kind of uh, beat the crap out of his out of his uh, old coach and and had, of a coach that had much better personnel. So the degree to which like Mitch was on the hook for that was bizarre. And I mean, it kind of speaks the kind of slanted nature of those articles in the first place. So, uh, so I mean, this is something that's that I will be thankful that comes to an end. Um, after Jim and Mitch are fired, even though I'm not quite um, on board with Jeannie's ascendancy, but still, uh, well, and, and hopefully we don't get the um, uh, Mike Zarin's trusting numbers too much uh, <laughs> article that comes out a year after into, into his tenure because Jeannie, Jeannie wants to snipe behind him after uh, behind doors. Yeah, yeah, that uh, it, it, here's the other thing too, and this is the last thing I have on this. If Jim and Mitch are kept around, we can't go through this every year. Like this can't be a if if Jim and Mitch stay there at execution, which doesn't look all that likely. But Jeannie needs to come out and say, "Hey, regardless of how this year turned out, you know, and, and this all this is going to take place at the end of the year, I would imagine. Uh, by by year's end, she needs to stand up, and and Jim needs to stand up with her, and they need to say." hey, we are going to work towards getting on the same page. Because the longer this weird, effed-up relationship goes on, 
the harder it is for them to get to get free agencies. Like it, we always hear about how free agents don't want to come to LA because Mitch is this, or if it was because Kobe was hard to play with, or because the Lakers aren't winning, whatever it might be. But part of the equation and why the Lakers haven't been able to get free agents is because this kind of you know <laughs> weird relationship has lingered now for years. And there is no real end in sight. And if they are going to stick around, then then they need to say, all right, we're putting this situation completely behind us. We're moving forward with what we have. Exactly. So, I mean, I think that's going to be largely a moot point. I mean, because I think at the very, 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 very least, I think Jim is safely gone. And then maybe Magic's um, affinity for Mitch will keep him around for another year, but I think it's much more likely that both get canned. There's a there's a kind of a wholesale switch in the front in the front office and those two posts in the president of basketball operations and uh, the uh, GM spot. I think maybe the rest of the infrastructure, whether it's Ryan West as assistant GM, uh, Jesse Buss, and the rest of the scouting infrastructure, kind of stay on. Since depending on whether the new GM wants to kind of bring on his own guys or however that might uh, work out. But um, I do think, uh, yeah, it probably, and I think hopefully, as cause, as you have alluded to, because I think the more rosy situation you, you, you've you uh, uh, um, laid out is something that's not going to happen, needless to say. Uh, so I think at this point, for the sake of just kind of uh, the organization moving forward, Jim probably needs to be fired, whether he deserves to, or not, and I think you can argue. I think there's a fair argument that he deserves to do this firm, and he doesn't. Regardless of how it goes, Genie's ultimately the one who has the hatchet, is able to exercise it, and so long as they keep on the the internecine sibling warfare, it harms the organization as a whole. Yep, absolutely. All right, so this was fun. Again, we didn't talk much about the game. There wasn't much to talk about aside from Russell's minutes. And that's something that as we get more quotes and as we get more clarity on that situation, we promise we'll try to bring that to you on Silver Screen and Roll. Uh, so make sure you uh, pay attention to that. Thank you very much to Ben for tuning in tonight. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Yep. And I, I, as a kind of a last point, um, I tweeted earlier today, like I think you, you, as you, you said, we've had to put, Russ, to put Russell's struggles in context. Look at, say, um, Emmanuel Moutier, who's horrible right now for Denver, who has a 10 PER, who has like a 47 true shooting percentage, who has a worse RPM than Jordan Clarkson. Like, if that was how Russell was playing, we should panic. Yeah. Genuinely panic. I still, and I think nothing Russell's done this season has given me grounds to panic. So, I mean, even t- uh, l- last game of tonight, notwithstanding, I'm still pretty good. Hopefully the team comes up better from the All-Star all-star break and we have better things to talk about absolutely all right thanks everybody for tuning in again you can find our show on audio boom itunes silver screen and roll tune in stitcher in today's fast break uh make sure you're using all those promo codes that we give you we will talk to everybody again tomorrow have a good rest of your day